What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football and all-silent reporter. So great to be with you. Unfortunately, a little over 24 hours since the Texans lost in overtime to the Kansas City Chiefs, the 11-3 Kansas City Chiefs, one week after losing 27-23 to the Dallas Cowboys up in Arlington. The last three games, three games that we all knew were going to be kind of sexy games, right? Obviously, Deshaun was coming back with Cleveland. Then you had Dallas and Kansas City. You had those three games back to back to back. And the defense in those games, keeping the uh, keeping the, the Browns-Cowboys and Chiefs out of the end zone at key times. Offense, opportunistic, minus the Cleveland game. Uh, but yet, ugh, still a gut punch loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, I broke this down to Harris Hits. Get that at HoustonTexans.com. And I discussed since 2017 the number of just gut punch. I mean, just listen to these. This is from this year alone. A 17-point lead versus the Colts finished in a tie. Led the Broncos 9-6 starting the fourth quarter. Tied at 20 with the Bears starting the fourth quarter. Trailed the Chargers by three with eight and a half left in the fourth quarter. Trailed the Raiders by four with 11 minutes left with the ball in the fourth quarter. Trailed the Eagles by four starting the fourth quarter. Trailed the Browns by six starting the fourth quarter. Led the Cowboys by six starting the fourth quarter. Led the Chiefs by five starting the fourth. The result, nine gut punch losses, one tie. I mean, <laughs> that's just – I mean, even if you just split those, even the, the – you can't split nine. Well, I guess you split ten. Let's say you split them right down the middle, go five and five. You add in the win over the uh, Jaguars. That's six. You got six wins. You're six and eight. But instead, couldn't win those games in the fourth quarter uh, and just gut punch. Since 2017, how about this? Speaking of gut punches, how about this? 2017, week three, at New England. Got Brady late in the game. At Seattle a few weeks later, 41-38, Russell Wilson, touchdown in the final minute. 2018 at Philadelphia, Nick Foles late comeback after the Texans made a comeback. 2019 at New Orleans, Monday Night Football, Will Lutz from 58 yards on Monday Night Football for the win. I mean, Aaron Colvin just blowing that coverage. 2020 at Tennessee, overtime, 43-37. A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. <laughs> Indianapolis at home, 2020, five snap from the three-yard line. 2020 at Indianapolis, fumbled at the two-yard line, down by seven. 2020 Tennessee, last game of the year, doinked field goal at the buzzer, beats the Texans. 2021 New England at home. Davis Mills is one of his best games of his career. Remember that botched punt thing they did? Then the Patriots had a huge comeback. And then this year, those 10 games I mentioned. I mean, thank you, sir, my have another. That's been kind of the last five years in some respects. But hopefully that starts turning around because this team is starting to play better football. they got three division opponents to close the year. We talked about that and then some with our good pal Andre Ware. Let's go. Mills running, that's a nice little weapon, except at the end he didn't secure the ball. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's something we talked about uh, pregame and – you know, he can do – he's he's every bit as athletic as Jeff Driscoll, but the better passer. So they were saving him for, for certain instances. And I thought, you know, he can run some uh, RPO-type stuff and the stuff that they were running Jeff with to give it a different uh, wrinkle where you're not so predictable. And when he took off, I mean, it just kind of proved the point. Yeah, no doubt. What did you think overall the way that Davis played yesterday, Dre? I thought it was up and down. You know, it's that that's one of the, the – uh, downfalls of playing two quarterbacks is that one never really gets hot 
You know, you have the, you know, the athletic one in Jeff Driscoll. Well, he's just asked to come in, take a snap and run it and occasionally try to throw uh, a pass. And then Davis has to come in the game and, and be perfect when it's third down and seven, third and eight, and try to move the team through the air. That's a tough position to be in. So I thought his performance yesterday, as I did the last, you know, maybe two weeks, was just kind of up and down. Yeah, it's interesting with Driscoll. They do it again yesterday. In fact, they both were in the game to start out as Driscoll took the first snaps with Mills split, and it was different after that. But do you think they continue to do this, Dre, against Tennessee on Saturday? This is a short week, and it's in the playbook, obviously. And if they do do it, do they need to have Driscoll throw downfield a little bit more? Is that too risky? How do you see it? No, I mean, he threw a touchdown pass. <clears throat> last week against the Cowboys, so he, obviously he can do it. And I think it needs to be done so that they aren't so predictable uh, offensively that when he checks into the game, uh, the opposing the, – the defense doesn't know that he's only going to run. And so, uh, you know, especially on early downs, there, there needs to be a hitch or a three-step game thrown in there somewhere where it just keeps the defense off balance, where you're not just, okay, he's in, he's going to run. Let's let's crowd the line of scrimmage and stop this. Okay, I feel like I don't need to ask this, but I'm going <laughs> to because I'm going to just say it this way. I'm going to say with two words, and I just want your thoughts. Jordan Akins. <laughs> it's my man. That's my man. No doubt about it, man. I, I mean, I told you guys way back earlier, he needs at least seven targets. That's at least because I think he's that good of a receiving threat at tight end. Uh, the only thing I think I think is keeping him from becoming an all-around, uh, you know, every down Pro Bowl type tight end is blocking. And he's just got to commit to that between the ears and become a better player in that area. But uh, they're, they're, I don't know that there's certainly not a better receiving tight end on this roster, in my opinion. Dre, you look at the end of the day, it's over 500 yards of offense for the Chiefs. Mahomes only misses five, 36 of 41, 336 yards, two TDs, no picks. Yet I feel like the defense played well, for lack of a better way of putting it. They made some key stops. They kept the point total low. Texans had a chance, first and goal at the nine with minutes to go to take the lead. I mean, you can't ask for much more, even from most teams who are having really good seasons or better seasons, but here are the Texans really holding their own. Your thoughts on the defensive performance against Mahomes and the Chiefs? Yeah, to be in a position to win at the end of a game is all you can ask for, and I think that's what the defense is, is giving this football team. Uh, holding teams uh, well into the fourth quarter, and now it's time to just go take care of business on the offensive side. It gets you to overtime, and you know, you've got to uh, figure out how to close the game or if it's, you know, where, where it's late in the game, you've got to figure out offensively. They've given you uh, an, an opportunity to go win the game or, you know, go tie it up or whatever it is. I think they played well enough the last couple of weeks, even shorthanded, uh, to give, give this football team more than a chance to win. Okay. I want you to, both of you, 30 mm. years from now, and three years. of us are sitting on a porch – and we're hanging out, and Z's son walks up and says, Hey, Pop, Pop tell me about Patrick Mahomes. Mm. What will you tell him? After, well, uh, can I go first here? Yeah, go first. After you, go you guys first. are done, after you guys are done talking about Mahomes, I'll say, and I always said that he runs with the ball more than you think. <laughs> 
And look at yesterday, another case in point. And Johnny, Drake, I'm going to tell you this. Even during the break, Johnny's like, well, he's a little slimmer now. He's quicker, so he's doing it more. Hang on. I'm going to give you guys proof that my take is right. It's sneaky, it's subtle, but it's there, yes. and it's very effective. In the playoff game in 2019, oh, down 24-0, who was the leading rusher for the Chiefs? Patrick freaking Mahomes, yeah. seven carries, 53 yards, along of 21. He runs with the ball more than people give him credit for. At this Next. point, at this point, Z's son is like, well, I didn't want to ask about him as a runner. I don't care about I, him as a runner. I didn't want a Vander Rand <laughs> yeah. from Grandpa. No. Grand well, the most, the most talented passers this game has ever seen. And, and I think because he's willing to take – chances and here's one here's the most important thing he played for a coach and now we're talking way back or you know years from now he played for a coach that allowed him to be himself that is everything in this game because you imagine Patrick Mahomes getting he's under the tutelage of the wrong guy I'm mean, I yeah. sure you guys could imagine and use your imagination real mm -hmm. quick and come up with one of those coaches that says, hey, do not ever throw the ball that way. And he coaches parts of Patrick Ooh. Mahomes out of him. That, that coach exists, trust me, but he's not Andy <laughs> Reid. And Andy <laughs> Reid <Andy Reed, laughs> was like, no, give me all of Patrick Mahomes. And he allowed him to be himself. And by allowing him to be himself, he was a treat to the fans. Good answer. Johnny, are you satisfied with those answers? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know that I've seen anybody. And, and, Dre, I'll bring this point up, too. You mentioned this during the broadcast, and I, I hammered it home because I've been saying it for a while. You see a lot of guys that go to these individual quarterback coaches, and mm -hmm. they spend all this time with these quarterback coaches. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's going to fit for, for some guys. Patrick Mahomes went and played baseball. Yeah. And that's how he learned – to make those throws and to be effective with those throws. Now, some of the stuff he does with Jarek McKinnon, where he just flips it into the, like, you can't, you can't coach that. I mean, that's, no. he played baseball. He played baseball. And that is what helped make him the thrower that he is. Because to me, and, and Mark and I were talking about the two throws that, that came out of the end zone, the one where he threw it deep that was incomplete to Watson, where he threw like 55 yards off his left foot, fading right. And then the one he threw back across to Travis Kelsey. I said, Dre, all he was doing was backhanding a ball at short and throwing it back over to first base for an out. I mean, that's basically yeah. what he did. He didn't go to a quarterback exactly. coach. He went and played baseball. Yeah, and, and that goes to the credit of Andy Reid's brilliance once again because not only does he allow him to do it, he starts to scheme up things based on the throws that Patrick Mahomes can make. You know, the little underhand shovel pass uh, down on the goal line for a two-point conversion, those types of things. And so, you know, you play to that. You play to the strengths of the of the, uh, of the the player. It's why I think, you know, I, I hold Andy Reid in such high regard, and he's done it for so long, is that he's been able to adapt and change all the way down, not just for the overall game or, or the offense of the NFL, but any particular player and how to use them. Who goes and takes Pacheco in the seventh round and then inserts him into the offense and starts to use him as a seventh round running back that everybody else slept on who happens to run four, three and loves the game of football. Nobody nice. else. That's the brilliance of Andy Reed. Wow. And Brett Beach help it out as the GM, but Reed has final say over everything there in Kansas city.
All right, Dre, uh, let's get to some other things here relative to what happened yesterday. I thought Royce Freeman played pretty well running the football. Very well. A day where you really needed somebody to step up, and he stepped up nicely with some yak. He really did. Enjoyed watching him play yesterday, and he comes in, you know, it's it's quick for him, a quick turnaround, trying to get himself prepared. He is familiar with what this team uh, obviously does, but, you know, in terms of game reps, he just hadn't had a whole lot of opportunities, and I thought – he made the most of them yesterday. There's some nice runs in there, uh, you know, mixing it up between the tackles out on the edges. And I'm sure we're going to get a chance to see uh, Royce Freeman a, a lot going uh, going down the stretch here at the end of the season. Yeah, with Damian Pierce on IR. All right, Dre, you've seen it all. And mm-hmm. your time in the league, you've seen hey, NFC Championship game appearance, and you've seen the other side of things. What about the way this team is playing so hard these last couple of weeks against these really good teams and putting forth the effort they are? A lot of teams might just say, hey, is it time to go to Cabo yet? What golf courses are available for me? That's what I would be saying, maybe. (laughs) But what about the way they're going about their business? What does this say about the people involved here? Yeah, I was actually wondering about this on my drive home after the game yesterday. Why is this team playing so hard all of a sudden? especially with, you know, when they're playing shorthanded. A lot of a lot of starters, especially on the offensive side, are out. Three that directly – four that are really – that really affect what this team can do offensively. And so when you start to think about it from that standpoint, you just have to come up with a conclusion that younger guys or guys, period, are stepping in for injured players at this point in the season, and they're playing their butts off for their careers – you know, maybe that's the message that's coming from from uh, Coach Smith right now is that it's hey, this is your this is your uh, resume tape. You know, go out and put something all out there that you, you know we can look at, other teams can look at. Is there you know we we can't fool anybody. There's no playoffs after this, but mm-hmm. there is there will be games and opportunities to play elsewhere, and you want to put something positive on tape. Uh, not that you're not playing for the Texans. That's that's every bit the reason why that you're playing so hard to try to win here and get it turned around. But you're also, you know, putting some stuff on your resume tape. And I think that may be uh, that may be part of it as well. Dre, just from a thirty thousand foot view of yesterday in Titus Howard going to left guard, I, I thought he he held his own. Obviously, they didn't give up any sacks other than the one that Jeff ran out of bounds with, which we're still trying to figure out. But they didn't give up any sacks for the third straight. We going forward, we feel like Titus is the right tackle, and we don't know what Kenny can get back. But would you continue with Titus Howard over at left guard, or do you feel like that was just a situation to try and slow Chris Jones, who really didn't do a ton in large part because of Titus's play in there at guard? What would you do with the offensive line going forward, especially with Titus at left guard? I mean, did we call Mark? Did we call uh, Chris Jones's name at all, no, John? Johnny. Nope. Not a whole lot if we didn't. Nope. And so, you know, I say that, uh, ask it because I like Titus at left guard. I mean, I know the, the payday and Uh-oh. the money's out at tackle, <laughs> but I, I happen to like him there. And who knows? Uh, Green may be a right guard, you know, at this stage in the game. And most of them are run blocking, you know, guards when you talk about the right side of the offensive line. It gives you some options with Charlie Heck. Uh, where you don't have to start completely over. You've got some experienced players within the offense, and you've got some uh, some versatility on the offensive line. So uh, 
I could easily see that happening um, where Titus stays inside. And, and yesterday kind of proved that he obviously could play and play well there. There have been some times where Titus now has struggled at right tackle. And I mean absolutely struggled. But inside at left guard, he, he seemed to hold his own yesterday. Okay. I'm about to give you the most incredible stat of all. Do it. Chris Jones doesn't show up in the stat book. I mean, I, there we to, go. I don't even remember seeing he Did does he not, play? He, he, yeah, he we, not, we didn't call his name for making a tackle yesterday at all. Now, he was sick on Friday. I'll give him that, whatever. But he played 40 snaps. Mm, okay. His name does not show up. He did not register a defensive stat yesterday. I, I like this version of Chris Jones, by the way. And I require that he shows up again the next time the Texans take on. <laughs> I mean, that's, the that's a cat. Chiefs. That, that, that's a cat that can take over a game inside. You you talk about the yeah. uh, the kid from the uh, from the Giants that just owned us on the line of scrimmage. Oh, Chris Jones is yeah, Dexter Lawrence. He, he Chris Jones is the same type of cat. He he's the same type of guy that can take over a game uh, from the interior portion of the defensive line. And he was held without a tackle yesterday, with a move the Texans made to put Titus Howard at left guard. I like Titus at left guard. Drake, more enjoyable to you watching the Colts melt down after leading thirty-three to nothing, or the Titans losing four in a row, including yesterday's defeat at the hands of the Chargers on the West Coast. Well, I see what you're saying here. You're going within the the division, right? Yeah. But I also yeah. liked watching the Cowboys melt down, so I'll step out of it. But oh, it just happened nice. to be a divisional team with uh <laughs> with with uh Jacksonville happened to be happened to do it. And I guess we'll get into them for uh, here in a second. But I, I think I enjoyed the Colts melting down because of the way that the whole thing has transpired there, how they've gone about getting a coach. Uh, you get out to a thirty-three nothing lead at halftime. And you watch that thing come tumbling down, and and they broke the record for an NFL team or the most points in a comeback or whatever. Mm-hmm. Swept that baby right away from the, the old Houston Oilers. So I liked it even more from that standpoint. People were messaging me about that, like I was here for that because I I wasn't. You know, like I don't care about the Oilers as much. You know, I care about the people. You know, I care about Pastorini and all the Oilers that are you know that have been Texans ambassadors and stuff like that. But I don't feel that pain the way a lot of people do. But I got to say this: I know, I know. But I can look. I can borrow that pain. But oh, I, got I, enough, I got enough pain. You got enough. Yeah, I got enough to deal with right now. Yeah, Making your own pain. But yes. Trey, I want to make this point about Kirk Cousins because. He gets a lot of heat, and I'm, no one's saying he's elite. He's one of the top four guys in the league. He's not that. But he hangs in there in the pocket, man. He's tough. Like, that pocket's closing up, and I'm watching him just scoot around a little bit, try to create a little bit of space so he can get the ball off, wait for Jefferson or whoever else to get open downfield. I'm watching him during the comeback trail of that game, and I'm thinking, he's played some good football. I mean, they were scoring. It, it wasn't as easy as it looked. I think he made it look easier than it was, if you will. I think he deserves a little bit of credit here. Uh, absolutely. Um, will you know, is he the type of quarterback that you can, you know, you're going to depend solely on, solely on him to lead you to the Super Bowl? No, but if you put a bunch of talent around him, uh, he is more than uh, sufficient in terms of getting the job done. And remember this, Remember, we've had conversations about the draft. Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins was the second quarterback mm-hmm. the Washington team at that point in time took. Yep. He's still playing, yep. still starting, and still yep. leading teams to wins 
where you know the the higher drafted guy was was not the guy you know he's he's working with with me now so and, and I love and I love the guy and no I not seriously yeah. I love the guy I love it great but but yeah he's great but uh, that's just what you know going forward for this team and what it needs might take two of them in this draft. Okay, I would imagine that if the three of us added up the gross number of football games we have watched in our lifetime, it's tens of thousands. Mm, and, lot. Dre, I don't know that I've ever seen an ending like Patriots v. Raiders yesterday. Ooh. And I texted you guys. Ooh. I texted you guys yesterday, and I was like, have you guys seen this? I just mm. I happened to be watching it on my phone. I had to go pick up my wife from the airport. So I was about five minutes from going. And I was watching on my phone because my kids were watching Elf or something. And so I was watching. And I'm like, holy. And I said some bad words because I'm like, I've never seen this before. Yeah. Have y'all ever seen anything? No. Dre, have you ever seen anything like the ending of Patriots Raiders yesterday? Never. Never in all my years. And especially with it being that franchise that button, that is, is supposed to be as buttoned up and as situational uh, football savvy as any team or any other team in the entire NFL and when that gets away and I'm not talking about just you know don't just berate Jacoby Myers because that ball had to be snapped and somebody gave the okay for that play to be run somebody called a play Matt Patricia called a play instead of just kneeling on it getting it to overtime so what were you expecting the players to do when you put the ball in their hands and said hey go run this final play and try to score they're going to go try to score. They hear the last part of that, try to score. And that part of that for Stevenson was was pitching the ball. So yeah. uh, with all the meaning and then how it, you know, who was playing and involved in the game with the game happening, Josh McDaniels recently being the <clears throat> offensive coordinator last season, his latest stint with the New England Patriots. And now he's the he's benefiting on a mistake made by that team or his ex-boss's team, all of the stuff in the gumbo was uh, was good and and I've never seen anything like that but boy I did I enjoy seeing it <laughs> I I enjoyed it too you know I I had the TV on without the sound getting dinner ready and stuff and the uh, music was playing and I was I think I was on red zone and I was going to catch up on all the highlights later and I saw it as it happened and I thought is this a simulation like are they really doing this what are you crazy <laughs> I get handing off but you football guys have this saying the journey is over Ramondre Stevenson had to know all right you know we handed off I made right. a good chunk of distance here but the journey is over and it's time to run out of bounds and go to overtime but no they lose it's so wonderful that this thing it's going to live forever you're going to watch this thing Oh yeah Oh, yeah. Ever, this highlight, and it happened to them. I love that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, when you when you look at it, <laughs> you talk about the Stanford Cal band. This is going to yeah, be yeah. played. You know, that this is the NFL's equivalent of the Stanford Cal band. In my I've opinion. Said it's going to live on forever. I've always said the two most famous college football highlights, just the highlight. I'm not talking the magnitude of the moment, but the highlights. Stanford Band and Hale Flutie are the ones you see more than any yeah. other in the history oh, of the yeah. game. Oh, yeah. Yep. And this is going to go up there as something that you shouldn't do for a long, long time. What a weekend in sports. All right, Dre, uh, we've got Nashville on Saturday with the Tennessee Titans. Oh, before we get to that, uh, and we're, we're running. I know it's going to be a cold weather game. Yeah, we thought Cry we could get a out river, of it. you guys. We thought we could get out of it, but nope, it's going to be a cold weather game in the twenties or something like that. But what about the Jags breathing down the necks of the Titans? 
the Jags really have a golden opportunity here because, wait, they control their destiny. They control their if fate. If they yes. win out, Absolutely. they're and winning they, the division. That's exactly right. And, and they have a favorable schedule to get it done. And I think that is the matchup with Tennessee the last game of the year? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you talk about some drama coming, coming down, and if Tennessee were to drop another one, let's say the Texans go into Nashville this week on Saturday and beat uh, beat the Titans, and then Jacksonville wins in New York against the Jets. Oh. Then all I mean, now oh, the drama oh, oh, really oh, starts. Oh, oh, you imagine oh. North Florida with the Jacksonville Jaguars with a chance to win the AFC South as dead as everybody had them. I mean, it's crazy. Thing. And it, you know what, Johnny? Johnny, it goes directly to the plate of Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so I'm wondering yes. if he's finally coming around. Did you I'm see gonna... the four touchdown passes <laughs> he threw yesterday? He, he admitted during a break <laughs> earlier today, Dre. He admitted it. He's like, yeah, Lawrence is the real deal. Vandermeer has left the shot. Okay. <laughs> he's admitted it's not, it. It's, hey, it's not official until he says it live on the air, though, because you know, he, can't, he can't weasel out that way. 16 years from now, Trevor's got a Hall of Fame career. Mark's like, I yeah. still don't believe, guys. I don't believe it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Oh, I can promise you it is not going to happen. You're never going to hear those words. Come out of the mouth of Mark Vandermeer at all. But, yeah, Trevor is the real deal. I watched that game today. My goodness. Second half, he was just ridiculous. So, we can wait for that. We'll face Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis next week, I guess, or this week. We'll, we'll wait for Trevor to come to NRG Stadium where, in his first game ever, he threw three interceptions. I'll take three interceptions on New Year's Day 2023. I'll take that, but uh, we'll wait for that. We got, we got that in a little while. We got the Titans coming up next. Speaking of Titans, someone who knows him pretty well is actually in our town. That's John McClain. He joins us next right here on Texas All Access. Welcome back to Monday edition of Texas All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one half of the John combination on Monday with John McClain, the general who joined Mark and I. And, well, we wanted to get his thoughts of this game and other things happening in the AFC South. Let's go. John, your thoughts a day later on what you saw at NRG yesterday with the Chiefs invading town. I saw an amazing performance by the Texans. I believe it was the best grades I've ever given in a losing effort. You know, coming close against the Cowboys was one thing. I don't count the Cowboys as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but the Chiefs are. Great quarterback, great coach, great experience, really good defense, especially up front. And I thought it was an amazing performance. And uh, I gave the team an A. Couldn't give them an A+. plus. I'd been saved. For an upset, gave the coaches an A. I thought they coached as well as they could to have six starters out, four on offense, and be able to score 24 points and come in six was uh, not just a shocking performance for the Chiefs, and they were scared to death and relieved. It was uh, commendable for the Texans in every area. General, it felt like after the Jalen Petrie hit, in particular, that the Texans physically made well, the right way of saying this, but they sort of physically took over the game. I mean, I know the Chiefs moved the ball, but it felt like after the Petrie hit, it amped up the physicality that they were playing with maybe on both sides of the ball. Did you kind of see it that way? And what did you see kind of physically and part B of that question 
Titus Howard went into guard. How do you think that impacted the offensive line's physicality up front? Thought it was a very smart move. Um, Charlie Heck is a better right tackle than Justin McCray is a left guard. It worked great. If Jeff Driscoll hadn't had that bonehead sack in which he should have thrown the ball out of bounds, they would have gone three games in a row without a sack. And that's counting going up against Chris Jones and Frank Clark. Clark got credit for that one. That wasn't the Lions' fault. So the pass protection was good. The run blocking, you know, I'm, I thought they'd be lucky to get 30 yards. And Royce Freeman to come off the practice squad and have 11 carries, 51 yards. Overall, they had 94 mils, of course, 17-yard touchdown run. I don't think the Texans could have played any better. I mean, we're talking about the worst team in the NFL, and they just scared a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And uh, I thought it was impressive, and it started up front on offense. Now, Davis Mills, too bad he had that fumble. He didn't nail the ball right. He should have done a better job at protecting it. And uh, But two touchdown passes, touchdown run, only 24 passes except 12 completions and 121 yards, but he got the most mileage. Just like tight ends didn't have a lot of catches, but they got the most mileage with touchdowns, receptions by Aikens and uh, Quatoriano. So it's about as impressive as the Texans could play. And if they keep it up against the AFC South teams, they might fool around and win another game or two. How about Philip Dorsett, just briefly here, guys, because 0 for 1 in the passing stats, but I got to commend him. You just mentioned Driscoll running out of bounds, taking that sack, you know, thinking he's a runner. Mm-hmm. Or what, I don't know what he was thinking, but Dorsett with the ability to throw it out of bounds because my buddy John Lopez once pointed out, you give a halfback or a wide receiver oh, a chance it. to throw a pass, he's going to throw it. Oh, no he doubt. threw it away wisely and didn't take that sack. General how does this set the Texans up and the Titans up for Saturday's showdown in Nashville? Titans have lost four games in a row. Another really tough one for them to digest yesterday at the Chargers. What do you think of Saturday? I think they'll run Derrick Henry at least 30 times like they usually do, see if he can get over 200 yards. Their offense has just been awful. Tannehill got hurt when ankle, re-injured ankle, went out, came back. You know, there's a chance Texans could be going up against Malik Willis again. And the Titans have to win. They're only one game ahead of the Jaguars. It's amazing the way Jacksonville came back and beat the beat the Cowboys on a pick six. Couldn't happen to a greater group of fans. Huh? <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of people are, are – you know, it's no who could dislike Jacksonville, even the Texans fans. You can't dislike the Jaguars. They've been bad for so long. The Texans have dominated them, beat them nine games in a row. And then look at the heartbreaker Indy loss. So Jacksonville won. Indy lost after blowing a 33-point lead. Texans took the Chiefs to overtime. That's probably the most that's probably the most impressive day for the AFC South, even though only one of them won. By the way, I hate everybody, so I don't like the Jags. Just to go on the record with that. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. But Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence are pretty likable, man. They're I pretty likable. We everybody. like Frank. I mean, Frank's called you. Frank's call for the interception. Oh, I like the people great. who work there. Like man, the play-by-play play guys, sure. Yeah, and uh, JP. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you on that. General, we <laughs> Mark. I just said this to Mark a little while ago. Yesterday might have been the, the greatest sporting Sunday we've ever seen. You had the World the World Cup. 
match that was just incredible. Mbappe and Messi going back and forth. I mean, when you have two of the greats, it's like Kobe going against Jordan, and they're both scoring 50, and they're going back and forth. But then you had this weekend with the the comeback of the Vikings. You had the Bills-Dolphins on Sunday night, which was just an incredible football game, 32-29. You had two awesome overtime games that we were involved in in the Cowboys game. And then, of course, you had the Raiders and the Patriots. This felt like it was one of those NFL weekends where you could turn the channel to any game and you were just getting greatness. Did you see it that way as well? Absolutely. And unfortunately, the, the Browns won. Texans needed them to lose, and they lost to the Ravens. And, uh, boy, it was a great game by Cincinnati uh, to come down. Uh, they were. I look up, and they're losing, I think, 17 to nothing. I look up next time, and they're beating the Buccaneers. Buccaneers leading their division with a 6-8 record. Carolina Carolina, Atlanta could have tied them for first place, and they both lost. And I felt – let's see how it felt watching the Colts blow that lead. <laughs> and I was thinking about the Oilers and the and the thirty five to three biggest choke job in NFL history, and they no longer have that uh, distinction. Even though now it's the biggest playoff loss, and I thought it was ironic. It was Frank Reich that engineered, and Frank Reich's former team that gave it up. And 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 the thing that happened in the Raiders game, I've never, I've been doing this a long time, as you guys know. Never seen an ending like that. And I thought immediately that Ramondre Stevenson and and then Jacoby Myers must have thought they were losing. And they didn't. They were trying to be heroes. And and it couldn't happen to a worse team, of course. Raiders, I mean, the Patriots have pulled out all kind of victories in the past. But it to be Josh McDaniels against his mentor, Bill Belichick. And it knocked them out of the playoff, not out of the playoff race, but out of a playoff spot. That I think is the dumbest play I've ever seen in uh, in in maybe football period to to make that play and you know Chandler Jones who was cast aside by the Patriots and he had the winning touchdown. Can you imagine what it's like on talk shows in the Boston area today after the way they blew that game? John, staying in the division here with the Colts and everything they're going through, Saturday included, what is the future there as far as the GM goes, Chris Ballard? When you look at the coaching search, you assume a new head coach is coming in, or am I assuming that incorrectly? Your thoughts? I assume Chris Ballard's going to be gone. Now, Jim Ursay said, said he wasn't, but that was when Jim, when Chris was sitting off to the side at a news conference. And I'm pretty sure that Chris Ballard didn't think the Jeff Saturday move was very swift. So Ballard, he's going to be gone. That means he and John Robinson, two general managers who've done a good job, would be available if indeed you need a general manager. Remember, Ballard turned down several opportunities. He wanted to go where they had an established quarterback, so he went to the Colts where they had Andrew Luck. And uh, that's kind of backfired. And so – I'll be surprised if there's not a new GM with the Colts. Jeff Saturday had another terrible clock management issue. That's at least two that I've paid attention on. And you know, it's hard. It's one thing to be uh, to be a Monday morning quarterback that all of us are so good at. But boy, I remember Bill O'Brien used to say, "You guys in uh, sitting up in the press box have no idea how hard it is to be down there on the sideline during game day trying to." 
keep up with everything, and so many coaches continue to have clock management issues. Andy Reid used to have them just about every week till he got Patrick Mahomes. Now Andy's a genius. I mean, you get paid five-plus million dollars a year. Go buy yourself some help. I yeah. mean, Play I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You can cry in your beer all you want, but go get some help. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody that does and can keep, stay calm in those situations. But all I know is I watched Jeff Saturday against the Steelers in a he's got to take a timeout situation that 100 million people watching the game, all the people in the stands knew he should take a timeout. He didn't take a timeout. So you can't tell me it's, it's that hard. Take a timeout. Now, I've, I've been there. It isn't that hard. You call a timeout. Just, yeah, but what, why don't they do the right thing? We could analyze this later. This yeah, is good off-season topic. Yeah, it is a good well. off-season topic. General, the fall of the Titans, I want to focus on that. Is Mike Vrabel in any jeopardy, depending on how this season ends? It's a weekly question now that they keep losing. Four in a row. Let's keep it going Saturday, Titans. Well, I would have said the same thing about John Robinson, but John Robinson didn't get fired because of the record. And Mike Vrabel's not going to get fired. His problem is his offense is terrible. And one of the reasons the offense is terrible is they got rid of their best best receiver and second-best offensive weapon in A.J. Brown. And they haven't been able to do it. And Ryan Tannehill's struggling. He's got, I think, a $39 million cap figure. And they got to have changes on that offense. And their defense is playing great. They played well enough to win yesterday, lost on the field goal. And but you just can't consistently score fewer than twenty points and expect to consistently win in the NFL. All right, fun stuff there from John McClain of Gallery Sports and also Sports Radio Six Ten and our good pal who joins us each and every Monday and Thursday. And probably what every day if we asked him, but he's generous enough to give us Monday and Thursday as well. All right, before we get to our final segment, I have got to give props to one of our biggest fans out there, and that's Dykins. These guys are doing massive things in the city of Houston. That's Dykin. D-A-I-K-I-N. As the world's number one indoor comfort provider, Dykin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. From comfort and convenience to air quality, Dykin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. Learn more at Dykin, D-A-I-K-I-N, loveshouston.com. Come. All right, we get back. Let's take a quick run around the NFL. Man, what a weekend it was. We'll see if we can do that in a few minutes or less next right here on Texans All Access. We want final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. We've heard from Andre Ware, John McClain, and now it's time to go around the NFL. And what a weekend it was. This is one of the most unbelievable weekends I can remember in NFL history. I mean, it was incredible. So, let's go through it in three minutes or less. Get my music, and let's rock. Thursday night, the 49ers took on the Seahawks, and Brock Purdy did it again. 217 yards and two touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey had 108 yards on the ground and a touchdown as the 49ers improved to 10-4. and four. And if they would have got any help from the Colts, they would be the number two seed. Right now, they're one game behind the Minnesota Vikings, and I still think they'll catch them over these final three games. But 49ers win 21-13. Seahawks move to 7-7 seven and seven with the loss at home. Saturday, NFL record Vikings comeback against the Colts. The Colts were up 33 to nothing at half. 
33 to nothing at half. I got a text from Mark Vanderbilt saying, oh, my God, the Colts are broncoing, broncoing this thing. And if you know the Texans at all, back in 2019, the Broncos at one point had a 38-3 lead, and the Broncos were 3-9 and nine or something at the time and just throttled the Texans that day. Now, the Texans came back, didn't come all the way back. The Vikings came all the way back. They got a, a touchdown, then made it 36-7 with a Chase McLaughlin field goal for the Colts, and you thought, okay, that's it. Then it was on. They scored 32 unanswered points to win the game 39-36, the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. Kirk Cousins threw for 460 yards and four touchdowns. Dalvin Cook, 95 yards on the ground, but the story was the receiver – K.J. Osborne, 10 receptions, 157 yards, and a touchdown as the Vikings win 39-36 on Saturday. Browns beat the Ravens. But then Saturday night, the Bills beat the Dolphins 32-29, and what a wonderful game it was. Tyler Bass kicked a 25-yard field goal to win it 32-29 in the final play of the game in the snow. Josh Allen, 304 yards and four touchdowns, arguably his best passing performance of the year. Dawson Knox had a touchdown and six catches for 98 yards. Tua Tagovailoa, I thought, held up pretty well in the snow and the cold. 234 yards, two touchdowns. Dol- uh, Bills moved to 11-3. Dolphins fall to 8-6. Then on Sunday, oh, baby, it got fun. Eagles took on the Bears. They took care of business. Jalen Hurts is banged up, though. 152 yards. I'm sorry, 315 yards to the air, 61 yards to the ground. Counted for three touchdowns, but he threw two interceptions. That kept the Bears in the game. Justin Fields was fantastic, but not enough. The Bears lose. They fall at 3-11. Fit off the Eagles 13-1. Saints beat the Falcons 21-18 as Taysom Hill's touchdown to Rashid Shahid gave the New Orleans Saints a 14-0 lead. They would hang on 21-18 as Desmond Ritter threw for 97 yards in his debut. That was it. But Tyler Arjou had 139 yards in a touchdown. But the Saints get it done beyond Andy Alden's two throwing touchdowns. Everybody's at 5-9. Over in the NFC South, except the Bucks, they are six and eight. Lions beat the Jets, fourth down and one. Brock Wright, 51-yard catch and run from Jared Goff, gives the win to the Lions. Lions are now seven and seven, same as the Jets. Steelers beat the Panthers. Panthers could have gotten to the top of the NFC South. They don't. 24-16. Jags win this one in overtime, and Trevor Lawrence was great. 318 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, 40 to 34. Look out now. The Jags are right in the hunt. Broncos beat the Cardinals. That's great. They get to four wins. And if you know what I'm talking about, four wins is great. Raiders and Patriots, it's the greatest ending I've ever seen to a game. Craziest. Chargers beat the Titans on a Cameron Dicker, the kicker field goal at the end. Move the Titans to 7-7. Seven and seven. Bengals were down 17-0. Came back and won 34-23. And the Giants got to win 20-12 over the Commanders on Sunday night football. Fantastic weekend. You guys are fantastic. We'll see you tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.